Welcome to the Dublin Bible Talks, midweek Bible talks for workers in Dublin. I'm Cameron Jones. We all want unity, but the world just seems to be increasingly fragmented. Today we looked at what the Bible teaches in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 22 about the peace between Christians that Jesus' death on the cross brings, a peace you'll experience in a gathering of true believers, what we often call church. And please consider joining us live on Wednesdays from your workplace, 1pm Dublin time on Zoom. It's a simple way of identifying as a Christian in your workplace. Simply use the link bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. That's bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. Well, friends, how do you think about yourself? Most of the time, what we think about ourselves only becomes clear when it's contrasted with another group of people who might think differently. Recently, with all the rugby on television, you can tell who supports whom by the clothing they wear. Supporters of one team might have uh, names for the supporters of the other team, and they're usually not very nice. They're, They're designed to accentuate the differences between us and them. The dog we brought from Australia uh, to the British Isles was an English Springer Spaniel. And we'd been learning some Scots Gaelic in Australia, and so we called him the Englishman in that language, which is the word Sassanach. But if we went to the Scottish borders, we would have had to rename him, because some people use the word Sassanach to mean traitor. It's not a very nice word at all, and you could get some damage done to you if you use that to the wrong person. When we see the headlines in the news, whether it's local or national, many of the headlines are related to that division of us and them. From the children's playground to the supporting arena to national politics, identity politics that is so dominant in Western culture at the moment is just another version of this aspect of a person's character is a change, uh, something to define something as different from me. I have this characteristic or preference and so do other people and so that's us. And those people over there, they don't have that characteristic and so they are them whether it's based on nationality or culture or even race. I mean, there's this thing called critical race race theory, insisting that every topic must be analysed through the lens of race or based on gender, critical gender theory, men and women in competition with each other. And between those who think that sex and gender are the same thing and those people who don't, and so everything's through that lens and it creates an us and them, even between generations, We have Generation X and Y and Z so that respect and affection between older and younger people is replaced with resentment because they are them and we are us. What are the topics that you avoid talking about in a new group of people? Because you just don't know what their opinion on those topics might be and it might be awkward. Because I have an Anglo heritage, there are some topics that I now feel more awkward talking about than ever before because of white privilege. Now, we're not going to go do too far down those issues, but I just want to highlight how much us and them influences the way that we engage with the world. And in this part of God's word, we need to listen very carefully to how God addresses the them and us problem that is really very serious. And he does it in three points as he writes this letter. Paul talks about in verse 11 and 12, the dimensions of the division. 
And in verses 13 to 18, he talks about the peace process. And then in verses 19 to 21, he describes the wonderful outcome. So first, verses 11 and 12, the dimensions of the division. Remember that this was probably a circular letter to Christians throughout the area we now call Turkey. And Ephesus was a hub into that particular area of the world. Like much of the Roman Empire, it's a multicultural area. People from different backgrounds, different religious, cultural and and national heritages. But it's written to people who within these very early decades, within living memory of Jesus' death and resurrection, they had become Christians. And maybe like me and probably like you, they found it easy to forget what a remarkable thing has happened by God's grace to them and how it impacts real relationships in this world here and now. And so verse 11 begins with an invitation to remember. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Pause there for a second, because Paul is talking about about the most significant us and them division that has ever existed in the human race, the division between Jews and Gentiles. We're not talking here about anti-Semitism. In fact, it's almost the reverse of that. It's how Jewish people looked at non-Jewish people. Paul was a Jewish man. And from his point of view, this division between people is the biggest division that could ever exist between people. Far deeper, far more significant than the difference between male and female. More deep and significant than skin colour or... And it was expressed in name-calling. It's no different today. I remember in the playground at school, people were called names. Um, At one stage, I was called the sieve because I was a goalkeeper and I'd let so many goals in through in a particular season that I was called the sieve. It was funny, but it also hurt a bit, but I was all right with that. (laughs) Uh, But people were called names in the playground because of any number of things, weren't they? Because of their glasses, because of their accent, because of their curly hair, because of their height, because of their (laughs) whether they were tall or short. And as shameful as it is, I participated in that, and I'm sure all of us have in one way or another. But we also give ourselves names to identify ourselves, Australians and New Zealanders. The soldiers would call themselves the Anzacs. It's a title of honour and of pride. And Jewish people in Paul's day were proud of the title they gave themselves, the circumcision. It's a pretty strange nickname for yourself as a people, but it's one that went back to Abraham, the father of their nation. Circumcision was the marker, the sign given by God as the way of belonging to God's people. And the Jews seem to have been calling the non-Jewish people the uncircumcision. Us, the circumcision, them, the uncircumcision. Now, if that doesn't sound very nice to call people's names and you think that's wrong, that's an indication of how much Christian morality has influenced the culture we live in. But it hasn't stopped the name-calling, has it? But it's not just the name-calling that makes the difference between these two groups of people. Paul says, don't just remember what we call you, remember what that signified. 
what it meant that you were. Verse 12, Remember at that time you were separate from Christ. You Gentiles had no idea about the Messiah, the great Jewish king that the Jewish people knew about from God's word, the scriptures, what we now call the Old Testament. You Gentiles, Paul says, without the mark of God's covenant promise to Abraham, lived without any concept of God's promised king. And that's true, isn't it? That's because you Jewish people, you non-Jewish people were, look at verse 12 again, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. Now, if you were Greek or Roman or any other nationality, you might have been quite comfortable with that. But the Jewish person's vantage point made that a huge thing. It meant you were excluded from God's chosen people. You were aliens. That's what you were. And then Paul goes on, you were not only aliens, you were, do you see what he says? Foreigners to the covenants of the promise. From a Jewish worldview, that was the greatest defect in the world. The promises of God made to Israel over centuries, to Abraham, to Moses, to David. They're foreign to people like you Gentiles. And that meant Gentiles like me, like you, were left, verse 12 again, without hope. Of course, a Gentile would not have thought about themselves like that. But it is how you would have been from the perspective of a Jewish person. If you knew nothing of God's promises, you had no hope. Jewish people knew that God was active in the world on behalf of his people. And that Gentile, that was not you. No matter how much you had in this world, that was hopeless. Because you were, do you see how verse 12 finishes? Without God in the world. These Gentile people would have been religious, but their religion had nothing to do with the God who is the creator of the universe, the one true God. There are some of us who are reading John's Gospel together, sort of in a one-to-one small group kind of situation. If you want to do that, please let me know, and it would be great to do it with you. But John starts his biography of Jesus by introducing us to the Word, the one who was with God, the Word who was God, the one who made all things, the one who came into the world that he made, but the world didn't recognize him. That kind of blindness is an extraordinary blindness. And that's how the Jewish people saw Gentiles, saw people like me, like I think all of us on the call. And do you see how that kind of division divides the world? On the one hand, you have the people looking forward to God's promised king. This is the greatest influence on their lives. And on the other hand, people who had no idea that this was even a thing. On the one hand, people who were God's own possession, a people belonging to God. On the other hand, aliens, outsiders. One group of people who knew knew the promises that God had made through history, and others who were completely ignorant of God's word and had no conception at all of his promises. But notice, friends, that Paul doesn't say that this is just an opinion. This is not just a Jewish perspective on things among any number of other perspectives that are all equally valid. This is, Paul claims, absolutely true. 
This was reality because it's a distinction God has made in the world. And, dear friends, all those things remain true today. That's why there's so many divisions among us. All of those divisions in the world are just symptoms of a deeper problem. Friends, why do you think that we can't achieve peace between people? Human beings, we're clever. Just think of the number of things that we have been able to achieve, the things that we're able to do. But we just can't seem to bring peace. Sometimes we think we've got a handle on it. Sometimes after COVID and things are getting back to what we called normal and the news coverage we saw was internationally relatively okay. And then on February the 24th, 2022, Russia invades Ukraine and suddenly the world we thought was getting better is turned over again. Nothing's really changed. And then Israel and Palestine. And there's all those parts of the world that we'd never get to see and actually never had a break in the conflict at any time. And actually, when we look at it closely, our society, the society that we live in day to day, seems to be getting more and more divided rather than less divided. Look at the arguments between the left and the right in the United States that then assume the whole world is either one of those or the other. And my views are so limited, I'm increasingly aware (laughs) partly because of this call and the people who we're interacting with from all over the world, there are parts of the world I know nothing about. I don't don't know anything about uh, where you grew up, but I'm sure that you can think about situations from your own heritage where there was an us and a them, divisions in your own culture, in your own country, maybe even in your own family. Why can't we escape from us and them? The Bible says it's because of what Paul tells his readers here to remember, that we were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, foreigners to the promises, without hope and without God in the world. Christian friends, maybe you'd forgotten that. Had you forgotten that that's what you were by your birth, separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, foreigners to the promises, without hope and without God in the world. And that's the setup for verses 13 to 18, the peace process. Verse 13 begins with, but now, what wonderful words, a great turning point spoken of by Paul, the man sent to Gentiles like us by Jesus himself, sent to us by the Jewish Messiah, the Christ, the King, the Lord of all things, sends Paul to us. Do you realise, you Gentiles, says Paul, do you appreciate what has now happened? It's something that should have been at the top of your minds as you conceive yourself. But now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul, this Jewish man, who had known the one true God all his life, a scholar who had studied under the foremost academic of his age, studying this one true God's word for his whole life, studying God's promises, so familiar with the Old Testament, 
that had been recorded and revealed through the centuries to the people he was born into. This man says to this little group of Gentiles in this area of the world, he says to them, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you in exactly the same way as he died for me. And suddenly there is a great change in history. But now... Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you who were far away from God, you were completely unaware of Jesus as God's king, completely ignorant of God's word and of his promises, distant from hope. See what he says has happened? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near. By the blood of Christ. Jesus' death on the cross has changed everything. Look down to verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Notice that when he says peace there, he actually isn't talking about our peace with God. He's talking about our peace with each other in this context. The two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, now made one. No more us and them. Only us and we. Together. The barrier has been broken down by the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus has a practical outworking in Christians' lives. What is it that Jesus' death did? Verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Above all, what set the people of Israel apart as a separate and distinct group of people was the law that God had given them, a law that required them to be separate from the other nations, to not be like the Gentiles. But when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the whole world, The special God-given law that had put a wall around Israel was abolished. And why has that happened? Verse 15. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. One new humanity at peace with each other. That is the purpose of the death of Jesus Christ. And if we're still thinking, how does that work? Well, we need to keep reading. Verse 16. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. In other places, Paul speaks about the healing of Jesus' work on the cross across multiple human differences. Male, female, slave, free, etc. Across what we see as divisions across all of the us and thems, God's work in Jesus on the cross overcomes every division, killing the hostilities. Look at verse 17. He came and preached peace to you Gentiles who were far away and peace to those who were near, the Jews. Jesus Christ brings peace to Jewish people in exactly the same way he brings peace to Gentile people. And if that is the case, how can there be anything but peace between us?
verse 18, for, the, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Friends, think about this world that we live in. The death of Jesus Christ is monumental to the human race today as it ever was. If the cross breaks down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, then there is no division between human beings that has any right or any strength to withstand the death of Jesus. What happens when men and women, when young and old, when black and white, where opposites in politics, even Democrats and Republicans in the USA, whatever divisions you can think of, both come together because they both come to God in exactly the same way. What happens when different people from different groups realise that they enjoy peace with God on exactly the same terms? Well, the outcome is wonderful. Verses 19 to 22. Paul writes to the Gentiles, people like us, and he says in verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household. We are now one family, we Christians. Regardless of where we were born, or what we were born, or what language we speak, or what colour our skin, or whether we're male or female, or what job we have, we have become now a strong, solid building together. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The foundation is the message of Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension that is revealed in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the prophets of the old and the apostles of the new with Jesus Christ, verse 20, himself as the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone is the stone that sets the lines for the whole building, that keeps the whole building together. Uh, it's either the first stone that is laid that sets the square for the whole building, or it can also be used of the top stone of an arch that makes sure it doesn't fall apart. It's a phrase that's used in Psalm 11, actually. Uh, the rejected stone that has become the cornerstone. And in verse 21, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. Notice, friends, that the building process is one that continues. It's what's happening right now as you and I come to Jesus Christ and find peace with God through Jesus Christ who died for us. And as the gospel of Jesus calls others to that same peace with God, the building rises and becomes a holy temple. Verse 22, And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Friends, as we come closer to Jesus, we come closer together. Like Two lines of a triangle that start at different points but converge towards a corner. As they come toward that common point, the lines come together. And so, friends, as we come together to Jesus, we come toward each other. No longer two, 
but one in him, no longer separate, but united. Friends, all of the division and identity politics of our age that divides us is connected with the rejection of the peace with God that is possible because of Jesus Christ. Of course, there are very difficult issues in the world that are hard to overcome and they are complicated. But as we come together as a group of Christians, as what the Bible calls a church, you know that the word church in the Bible never refers to a building. It only refers to the group of people who come together as Christians. And as we do that, we leave aside all of those things that divide because what really defines us is Jesus. Friends, this is very important. Where is it that those distinctions of the world are not expressed? The, where, where is it in the world that you can go to a place which is not focused on the differences. Notice that Paul is not focused here on changing the world. Notice here that his focus is not on transforming the society outside. His focus here is on how Christians relate to each other in a distinctly different way when they get together. Yes, the world does still do things like slavery and it still has chauvinism and racism and partisan politics. And I'm not saying here that activism is wrong. Actually, some activism is very right to change the things in the world. But we don't expect the world to change completely because its big problem is not slavery or political division or even war. Their problem, the problem in the world, is sin. But between Christians in a church who are one together in Christ, we know that that's been dealt with. And so the world, why the world might continue to have slaves or classes and any number of divisions between types of job, whether they're blue-collar jobs or white-collar jobs, and they divide over it, that will not happen in a group of people who are now one because of what has happened to us in Jesus. And so you'll have the extraordinary things happening in churches that don't happen outside. You'll have people like Vietnamese and Cambodians attending the same church together, even though their peoples have had millennia of conflict uh, I, I won't do it oh no maybe there, there were, I remember years ago when there was still apartheid in, in South Africa uh, there was a church uh, under a man called, uh, whose leader was a guy called Frank Retief um, and while it was I think in Hilton maybe you can uh, get on the chat later on and, and if you remember any of this you can maybe give us a bit more of an insight uh, because you would have ex a closer experience of it. But the society made it illegal for the for whites and coloureds and blacks to be congregating together. But in that church, they ignored the law within the walls. And people who were white and coloured and black all gathered together. And it became a focus of hate, so much so that a group of people came in and they shot and threw hand grenades and killed people who were gathering together. And uh, if I'll share, share an article about that later on. It rang out in that culture as a we are God's people and those divisions that the world makes do not exist within this group of people. You might have Ukrainians and Russians going to the same church because they are one in Christ. 
Uh, when I was in Rwanda, one of the big divisions in Nigeria is um, uh, between Fulani tribespeople and uh, uh, some of the other tribes, and there is great violence. But I shared the stage with a guy who was Fulani, but he had come to Christ and was now one with the others who were Christians, where there was conflict in the country, here, between these Christians, there was peace because of Jesus Christ. This thing that Jesus has done is so powerful that it can't be limited to just what he has done between us and God. This work is so powerful on the cross that it breaks down divisions between people. How does this understanding alter also how you see your colleagues? Do you start to see how desperate their need is for Jesus? Despite their success in their work or their failure in their work, despite their pleasantness to you or their ill intent toward you, in every conflict they have in the workplace or in their home, they should be reminded of the sin that damages every aspect of their life. But they are blind to it. They are blind to the fact that what alienates them most significantly is their alienation from God. And they don't know that Jesus has died to deal with that so that they can be reconciled to God and through him with other people. Friends, through this, do you also start to see how valuable a thing church is? We're not quite a church here as we gather. We're sort of a bit like it, but, but not exactly, because we're, we're not really spending time together in the way that a church does. Uh, that little indication that I got from Colin earlier today, he sends his greetings from Australia and he, he loved uh, he loves how this group relates to each other and how much easier it is sometimes than church. But I responded to him saying, well, maybe because in this forum we don't have enough time to be annoying to each other as we otherwise would be. But w despite that, in a church, in churches I find people who are very unlike me Sometimes I find them challenging, but I love them and I bear with them because I've been made one with them because of what Jesus has done both for me and for them. We were both far away, but now together, near by the blood of Jesus, who is our peace. And the divisions that exist in the world have no place between us in church. And it's also always ask, worth asking ourselves. I don't know your hearts. Uh, and this is a question that you need to be thinking about your colleagues as well. Do they know the forgiveness? Do you know the forgiveness that enables you to forgive others? Do you know the love that makes it possible for you to love others? Do you know the access to the creator of the universe that allows you to call him father? And if you don't, what are you waiting for? And if your colleagues don't know that, who else is going to tell them but you? Who else do they have in their lives who might share with them this extraordinary peace of God? Well, friends, that's where we're going to finish today. But before we close the call... 
I'm going to give us uh, 30 seconds just to consider what it is. Maybe you'll let your eyes go over those verses and reflect on what that means for you personally and what it leads you to give thanks for about the people who you might meet with at church, that you might give thanks for the unity you have with them, and for the desperate need of non-Christian people to hear this message that unifies us. Thank you for listening to the recording of the Dublin Bible Talks. You can join us in real time on Wednesdays at 1pm Dublin time on Zoom, bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. That's bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks.